football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelizzolo back here with Sam Monson. And because it's the offseason, Sam, we're doing all sorts of special stuff like having former NFL GMs on here to talk about all of our team building strategies and theories and why they're all correct. Yes, um, though apparently not, judging by this interview. Uh, yeah, interview season we, at the PFF NFL podcast. That's we had some... season spelled S-Z. Oh, Z. yeah. Uh, you. You're so... Uh... Well, I have to be both hip for the kids. I have to be both hip for the kids and Americanized with the Z as opposed to the Z. That's <laughs> uh, it's tough. So we have uh, former uh, New York Jets GM and some high end title for the Miami Dolphins, <laughs> uh, Mike Tannenbaum, on the show today. We'll have a a long form discussion with him, and and we ran by it a lot of our theories. You know, whether it was you know how you handle the quarterback situation, you know, coverage versus pass rush, all sorts of stuff that we talk about all the time here, and we got the opinion of someone who's been in the seat making those decisions so that was a lot of fun we'll get to that in a minute but yeah then we'll have we'll have a lot more of that going forward and if you guys have any suggestions who would you like to have on the podcast with us to to talk to only the best guests mm. that's all we're looking for we've got a couple lined up excited about the ones that are coming on soon yeah but you know it's uh it's interview season so we'll get into that and uh let's get into it right now we'll go right to mike we'll go through it and we'll we'll be back to discuss so here's mike tannenbaum in our discussion with him all right we're just welcoming in mike tannenbaum former general manager of the new york jets former what was your exact title with the dolphins you were still making decisions right yeah executive vice president of football operations that does sound pretty important welcome mike how you doing man great to be with you guys hopefully you're staying safe with all this uh crazy weather going on in cincinnati yeah we barely made it here poor sam in his uh matchbox car yeah, it's not it's not a winter car, but it got here. I mean, I'm I'm here. You you made it, and you're in uh, sunny Florida, Mike. I'm in sunny tax free Florida. So <laughs> free you know, Florida. when I when I was with the Dolphins, I said, look, anytime we speak to an agent, we have to begin and end every conversation with, oh, did I mention we are in tax free Florida? Which is which is ironic because our boss, you know, Chris, flies us all permanently to Cincinnati a couple of years ago. And now he lives in Florida more than. Well, yeah. Where do you think he yeah. is right now? Yeah. Hey guys, Florida. Come, come to Cincinnati. It's great. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I'll be there for like two months. Yeah. Maybe. So, yeah, he's he's living that same life, Mike. Well, if, if he's listening to this, which we hope that he is, as long as Chris is in the state of Florida for 180 days or more, then we, it shows you how smart and savvy he really is. Oh, yeah. He's, I, I believe he's, he's got well aware down. of that. He's got it down. <laughs> Yeah, he'll he'll stop in for a podcast or something, but he's like, no, the other six days of the week, see you later. I'm back in Florida. Uh, anyway, it's team building season, free agency, draft, so figured this was a good time to pick your brain, man. You've been at the forefront and been able to make 
team building decisions. It's what we love over here. I want to start with some just general draft discussion. I think from like a media standpoint, mm -hmm. we always tend to get these big picture topics. Do you pick the best player? Do you draft for need? Can you discuss some of that? Like what goes into just the decision for where to go in the draft? You know, Steve, we certainly have had these conversations before, but I really think it's about a, a continuum of being opportunistic. And what I mean by that, some of the most consequential signings of my career happened probably when it was maybe like the most quiet. So most notably signing someone like Vinny Testaverde in June, trading for Brett Favre in late August. Um, opportunities come. Unfortunately, we dealt with a situation in Miami where Ryan Tannehill tore his ACL in August and we had to go sign Jay Cutler. So the point being is opportunities either unforeseen circumstance or because of an injury happened all throughout the year. And I think people that are effective at team building sort of had that mindset that it, um, it's not just, hey, what's going to happen the first two weeks? You know, we saw that Jalen Ramsey trade, for example, last year between Jacksonville and the Rams happened in season. And I think there's a couple sort of like tent poles that are important here. One is there's things, there's a difference between a must and a need. A must is something that you just can't operate your franchise without. A need is exactly that. You want to get better. And it always should be through the lens of how do we win our division? Because without having home playoff games, it's really hard to be successful. Now, with that said, we just saw what happened with Tampa Bay, but that's clearly aberrational. So the start of the NFL offseason, everyone's focused on the quarterbacks that could be on the move. Um, because, you know, quarterback, the most important position in the game, it's basically everything at this point. How, if you're a team that doesn't have one, if you're a team that's struggling for a quarterback, doesn't have a starter that they think that can take them to where they need to go, what would be your approach? Where are you targeting? Are you solely focused on the draft? Are you trying to make a monster move for a guy like Deshaun Watson? Like, how would your approach be if you're one of these teams now? So when I was at the Jets, we had a sign up that said uh, every rock every day. And it's really about a, a mindset of we have to, the verb is scour for, for players, most notably quarterbacks. And if you're a team, like take the New England Patriots, you know, Cam Newton by all accounts was a, a great teammate, worked really hard, um, but he just didn't play very well. And if I'm New England, I may look at, for example, signing Marcus Mariota and trying to draft Mac Jones. Um, and that's a position to me, which is a good illustration of a must. So uh, I think we're going to see a lot of quarterback activity. When you speak to people around the league, there's really not a lot of quarterbacks in 2022. Uh, Keenan Slottis of SC may be the only one with a first rounder. So that brings in a really interesting dynamic. So for example, somebody like Atlanta, even New Orleans, where you may not need a quarterback for another year you may feel like this is your best opportunity to get one yeah so that's interesting so sam and i debate this a little bit sometimes about having two quarterbacks in the old adage if you have two quarterbacks you have none and all that stuff which i don't buy into at all because you need to find one and then you know sam here believes in more of the human dynamic right if you you know, if you were, say, a Mitch Trubisky and, they, you know, the, the Bears drafted somebody out, it's, uh, somebody else that's going to hurt his confidence, whatever it is. And maybe we saw that with Carson Wentz. How do, how do you balance that? Because it's easy for us here on the podcast to just think of players as assets and just yeah, draft, draft six quarterbacks. One of them will be good. 
which is great on paper. How do you balance that from just the human aspect of how are they going to respond to challenges and competition? Yeah, I definitely lean more towards you, Steve, because thank you. I think it's always about what's best for your team. And look, you know, not having a great situation behind Ryan Tannehill really hurt us in Miami, no question was a factor in me losing my job there, uh, just from a standpoint that um, we didn't have a great answer behind it. And I've been around guys like Brett Favre, where they're like, hey, yeah, bring in as many quarterbacks as you like. They're going to be sitting on the bench, like you're <laughs> wasting your resources, but that's what you guys want to do. Great, no problem. Like a little bit of a gunslinger mentality. So you need to be mentally tough to be a great quarterback in the NFL. And if you're worried that there's a second round pick behind you, like, you got much bigger fish to fry. Like you got to be worried about the pressure package or the upcoming opponent or whatever it may be. So um, the the last thing they should be worried about is, you know, who else is behind them. They should, their eyes should be forward. Their mindset should be forward. See, what? I told you. I think it probably, there's a degree to which it, it depends on the guy though, right? Like you can tell some people are going to take it badly when you bring in someone that could potentially challenge them for their job. And some people are going to be like Brett Favre who are like, yeah, do it embrace it yeah but sam like fundamentally like show me the leader in any walk of life that has those insecurities that's successful you think like tom brady really worried that blaine gabbert was behind him you think patrick mahomes cares that you know chad henney is behind him they're they're great um you think jeff bezos was worried when the board asked them to put a new cfo behind him no like greatness is greatness and you want to lead you want to inspire as coach Parcells, you're like you want a battlefield commander and this bs of like oh well they undermine my well no you got the wrong guy like this is about like leading men and winning championships and playing when you're hurt like there's a lot of things you got to take on to be a leader to be a great quarterback in the nfl and worrying who's behind you if that's really the case we got the wrong guy yeah it's it's not so much the worrying who's behind me it's how they're going to react to the guy that gets put behind them so aaron Rodgers this year would be an interesting example right they draft jordan love his clear replacement at some point in the future and however there's a sort of debate as to how rogers exactly handled it but it worked right he he got motivated by that he played better this year than he's played in the better part of a decade but what if rogers either like he's clearly upset or not he didn't like that they did that right so instead of if rogers hadn't embraced that and played better but instead had gotten sort of salty and annoyed and, and sort of gone into a sulk and agitated for a move out or, or made that transition happen quicker. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you're then sort of uh, pushing the onus on the quarterback that's already there to handle it well. And, you know, most of them may do if they're that kind of caliber. But if they don't, you've created a big problem. Well, that's, that's why he's yeah. great. Uh, look, I, I think pushed. Aaron Rodgers is innately motivated. Um, I don't know if Jordan Love being selected there was outcome determinative on how he played. Uh, I think he just has greatness about him. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I've had these lot of conversations, you know, recently Mike Pouncey retired and Mike Pouncey was one of the smartest, most insightful people I ever had the privilege of working with. Um, and, you know, smarter, older veterans, like, well, presumably, you know, they drafted Jordan Love to play at some point. Aaron Rodgers is not a person, in my opinion, that needs extrinsic motivation. Like, he's waking up chasing greatness every day. Um, I'm sure he thought that was a very inefficient use of draft capital. And, you know, I, I, I see that slightly different. I just think, like, you want to fill your organization from the trainer to the strength coach to the quarterback with people that 
want to be great or die trying and they're intrinsically motivated people and they don't need external motivations yeah. to sort of fuel their greatness. I, I generally agree. My Steve is painting my position, I think, with a broader brush and it actually is usually talking about uh, I'm, that, I'm that's how you do things too yeah so yeah i'm usually <laughs> when i make that point i'm usually specifically talking about like younger quarterbacks that haven't yet succeeded or failed and i don't know that you necessarily want to add competition to the mix of a guy that you think is going to be good but hasn't quite got there yet it's not like any quarterback obviously ones that you know are good anyway it's probably not an issue but for a guy that's sort of teetering on the brink that you think still has the ability to lead a franchise to essentially then bring in a guy who can pretty easily be seen as a direct replacement. Like, I got it wrong, we're doing it again. That guy's dead in the water. I think it's about messaging, though. So this brings me to like to the Eagles, right? So with Wentz, it, it, Mike, is this a red flag now? Because Wentz didn't handle a second-round quarterback coming in? Is that a red flag yeah. for him going forward? Yeah, that, that would be a concern. And I'm a big believer in Carson Wentz. I thought that was a great trade when they traded for him. Here's what I don't understand about Wentz, which is un unfortunately for me, um, something that like remind me of Mark Sanchez earlier in my career, which is this. When you look at Mark Sanchez, who won four road playoff games, um, I wanted to get that in the podcast. And Steve, you know, we've been doing this for 19 <laughs> minutes. And you didn't get a chance to ask me that. So, Candley, I'm a little disappointed that I had to autobiographically put out that accomplishment. We'll go back so, and we'll we'll evaluate the Mark Sanchez pick and you can defend it. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, but it, it all seriousness, like, here's what's weird about Wentz is, like Sanchez, he had a lot of success early. I mean, I think pretty unanimously we, we could sit here and say, hey, you know, three years ago, he was one of the whatever, five or ten best players in the sport. And then it got worse, but, you know, again, similar to Sanchez. And it doesn't make sense to me because when you come from an FCS school, you would say, okay, early on, maybe level competition. It's just going to take a while. He's from North Dakota. The Northeast isn't for everybody. And this is going to take a minute. And then we're going to see his career take off. And really the opposite happened. And to what extent it could have been, hey, Nick Foles won the Super Bowl or they drafted Jalen Hurts. I'm not really sure. But to answer your question, if I'm the team acquiring him beyond Indianapolis because of the obvious Frank Reich connection, that would be a concern because again, like I'm just telling you, like from being there guys, like mental toughness is such an important part of, of, of having success because we're all going to have bumps in the road and how you handle it is so important, especially at that position. The, uh, the Northeast isn't for everybody, by the way, is low key and outstanding yeah. <laughs> line to just throw in there. Another Massachusetts guy like me here. <laughs> Look, yeah. you gotta, you no, gotta no, earn your Sam, way. In, in, in all seriousness, um, I think you bring up an interesting point. You know, there's a lot of people that feel like Archie, uh, excuse me, Peyton Manning wouldn't have had the success that Eli did in New York because Eli's disposition just played a lot better in New York than Peyton's would have. And when you look at somebody like Carson, you know, he's a little bit like when you watch his body language, he's an introverted person. And look, I was born in New York. I grew up in Boston. My wife's from Philly. We got married in Philly. Um, we're obviously comfortable in that environment, but it is not for everybody. And I got to think if Carson has a, a meaningful seat at the table and where he goes next, 
I got to think any makes sense, not only because of the Frank Wright connection, but something you alluded to there, Sam, which is he may not just like it in Philly and yeah. wants to get someplace closer to home. Yeah. So a nice, sense. safe place like Chicago Ooh. could work. <laughs> the Midwest isn't for everybody either. So, so that's an interesting question I, that I've been thinking about too, because at, it sounds like you listen to the Bears in their post-game press con- uh, postseason press conferences, right? And it feels like they're like, hey, we've gotten the quarterback situation wrong. We have to make a move. And I keep all offseason I've been saying they need to make some kind of power move, not a Nick Foles move, but a, you know, this is a boomer bust. We either, we're either going to find a quarterback or we're going to be out of our job from a Ryan – potentially Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy standpoint. As a decision maker, did you ever get to the point where you felt like, man, I need to make a – I'm making decisions to save my job for a year, to buy time. Did you ever put the future of the franchise, at, you know, at risk maybe for one year? And do you see that? Not so much you, but just decision makers around the league. How do you balance that when you're actually in the seat making those decisions? Yeah, no, those are great questions. Um, you know, boy, a lot to chew on there. But you know, one point in my career was about Chad Payton. You know, we had the opportunity to go get Brett Favre. And you won't find a better human being in any walk of life than Chad Pennington. I mean, he is a rare, rare, rare human being. I just, I couldn't talk enough about his character, his leadership. And he was a really good NFL quarterback. Yeah. He wasn't great. He was good. And we always felt that as long as he was our quarterback, we can make the playoffs. But we were not going to consistently go beat Tom Brady. And we had a chance to go get Brett Favre. And our calculus was, you know, like you just to use your term, Steve, let's let's go make the power move because as much as we love Chad, if we ask ourselves in a very honest and sober way, it's not going to happen. And uh, so that's why we made that decision. And I think other times, like with Sanchez, for example, when we traded up for him, that was year one of Rex Ryan being our head coach. And really what I was hoping to accomplish with that was – hey, we just got this new head coach. Boy, it would be great if we could go get him and our quarterback in the same year and say, hey, the face of our franchise is Mark Sanchez, Rex Ryan, tie him together and just go and let them grow and develop together. And that was kind of our thinking on that as well. Do you think – so what you said there was interesting to me because I've got this theory that what the decision that you had to make I feel like was less prevalent around the NFL – 10, 15 years ago, which was, we have a pretty good quarterback, but there's a better option out there. And I definitely feel like we hit a lull in the NFL where starters were tough to come by, right? Like early part of last decade, you know, AJ McCarron would throw three good passes in a game and everybody's like, that's it. Throw a first round pick at the Bengals. Go get AJ McCarron. Go get the next hot backup, whoever it is. But now you have teams saying the Rams, Jared Goff's good. He's a starter. He's a capable starter. We want better. And I don't know if the Raiders believe that about Derek Carr, but I imagine if, you know, again, Deshaun Watson's out there, they have to think about it. Do you think the NFL's evolved a little bit as far as the, the, just the number of starting quarterbacks and the decisions teams are making to upgrade from a starter, which was like, you know, tough to find 10 years ago? Yeah, I think there's a little bit to it. Look, I think Sean McVay's a good coach, and I don't think this was his finest moment at all. And here's oh. why. Um, you guys are sitting in a beautiful, beautiful podcast studio. Thank you. Man. And if two years ago, Steve, you said to Chris Collinsworth, hey, Chris, we need to upgrade and get a state-of-the-art, beautiful 
podcast and Chris went out and spent really good money, top of the line money to get this beautiful podcast studio. And then 18 months later, you walk in and said, <laughs> Hey, Chris, this podcast, studio, it stinks. And we're, we're out of here today and go spend double and triple because NBC sports or ESPN's podcast studio is better. And I'm never doing a podcast in here again. So this stinks. And 18 months ago, what I said, doesn't matter. I'm done here. I'm not coming back in until I get a new studio. That's what Sean McVay did. 18 months ago, he said, Mr. Crocky, go give Jared Goff $100 million in guarantees. We can win a Super Bowl with him. 18 months later, I'm going to go play John Wolford. We can't win with this guy. That's not acceptable. That is not acceptable as a leader. And just like Chris Collinsworth, I presumably would not give you another podcast studio in 18 months. Maybe I'm wrong. Chris is listening. <laughs> See how persuasive um, we are. But, but the point is, like, that to me is a failure at the coaching level of what you evaluated 18 short months ago. It, it's not okay. $100 million is a lot of money. It, and but, you're really putting the franchise um, in a really, really tough situation. So, um, you know, that that's like sort of like one way to look at it. Um, the, the other way to look at it is to say we are chasing greatness. I think Derek Carr is this decade's version of Chad Pennington. He's a great guy. He's a good player. And all of a sudden, I'm John Gruden, and I left the comforts of the, you know, Monday night booth. Now I got to go competing – and you can throw in Herbert, Justin Herbert and Mahomes. Like I'm not going to get to where I want to go with Derek Carr. That is the honest, sober reality of that. Just like we made that determination with Chad Pennington. And if you ask me, I think the Raiders have zero chance of winning a title. And I think they're going to be stuck in this rut of winning six to nine games for the foreseeable future. And I think John's in a really tough situation. Yeah, I think the Raiders are a great example of, of exactly that because they're in that division with Mahomes. It's it's the same thing as Brady all over again. Jumping back to the Sean McVay thing, though, don't you think that there is um, merit and it's it's actually laudable to, once you've made the mistake, the damage is already done, right? Don't you actually do the best for your franchise in recognizing the mistake as soon as possible and trying to do what you can to fix it unless... Because the alternative is you either say, well, I ha I'm stuck with this. We made this bed. We have to lie in it and struggle through the inferior quarterback for however long that lasts. Or you say that that mistake is so egregious that it needs to cost Sean McVay his job, which feels like, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face. Isn't the best thing for everybody involved to say, yeah, look, he screwed up. It's, it's bad. We're in a hole. We lost a lot of money. But the best thing we can do is to cut out the rot now and move on. Yeah, well, context is everything. You get a second round pick wrong, you can live to fight another day. You know, you sign, um, you know, player X to a high level free agent deal, and that doesn't work out. You probably could live to fight another day. You give somebody a hundred million dollars, a hundred million. Your expertise is that position, and eighteen months later, you can't win with him. Oh, I got, bad. I got real challenges with that, and I've said this before. If I was sitting there, my, my point of view would be is, you know what, Sean, like reluctantly, we're going to make this trade, but it really looks very poor on you. It doesn't make you look like you're a problem solver. It makes you look like an emotional evaluator. And it doesn't seem like you're willing to roll up your sleeves and fix what's wrong with Jared Goff, who, by the way, took us to the Super Bowl. So 
Um, I understand about cutting your losses. I've made my fair share of mistakes and, and moved on from players. Um, no one's going to bat a thousand, but when you're the your expertise is the quarterback position. And again, the type of money they guarantee Jared Goff, I just don't think you can let a coach say, Hey, you know what, fellas, like we gave it the old college try and we got to move on. Do you, do you think the fact that they did pay Goff that money or that the Eagles paid Wentz that money is a little bit of what I was referring to before and, and maybe Dallas had it right in some parts to slow play <laughs> Dak Prescott. Right. So again, there was a point I think where it's like, I can't even find a starter. And if you have one, just pay him. There was a reason like at one point, Derek Carr was the highest paid quarterback and Joe Flacco. And it was just this revolving door of starters. Alex Smith got a hundred million dollar contract. Cause he was a starter. That's like, yeah. he's the, he's the epitome of it's 2013 and the Andy Dalton rule, Mike, is what, I, is what I've said, right? You're either above Andy Dalton and you have a starter or you're below Andy Dalton and you're looking. And that was like 10 to 12 teams, 15 teams at that point. So was like the golf deal kind of like the, the end of that, you know, where teams just said, I've got a starter, I have to pay him because I've got this fear of being out there. Or is it still scary being out there? Like the Patriots are not in a great spot. The Steelers are about to not be in a good spot, right? I mean, is, where's that balance of like locking up that middle-class starter for high-end money versus just saying, I'm, that's fine, I'm, I'm moving on from Jared Goff, like if the Rams did that a couple years ago. Yeah, well, I think those are two different scenarios because of what was a you know fourth-round pick. And I think in Prescott's case, you know, my view of that is that's a 40 to $50 million mistake because – if they signed him two years ago, he would have cost roughly 32 to 33 billion. Ironically, it's the Goff once Aaron Rodgers market at the time. Now the deal's 40 million. Yeah, uh, he has to be north of Deshaun Watson, and on a four or five year deal, you know, that's a 50 million dollar mistake. And to put that in context, guys, it's already cost you someone like Byron Jones, a really good player. Yeah, um, you know they paid Zeke when they didn't have to. So I think those situations are somewhat analogous, but they're different, Steve, in my opinion. Because Goff, you had a little bit more time before you had to commit to it. And what I would have said at the time was, hey, guys, like, we're paying $32 million. If we are wrong and he's great, what's the delta? What's the change? What's the difference? 33 maybe 34 $35 million. So we're betting $100 million to save $3 million. That doesn't seem like a great sort of like proposition, whereas in Jerry's case – my, he just paid the wrong guy. He paid Zeke when he didn't have to. Yeah. Zeke had multiple years on his deal. He was in Cabo holding out. Could have franchised him. I wouldn't have paid Zeke. I said it then. And I, I, I think who you pay is so important. You know, Demarcus Lawrence, good player. Jalen Smith, good player. Lyle Collins, good player. But you know what? All those players are replaceable. Dak Prescott's not. The, the Dak thing makes no sense whatsoever unless they have decided that there is a hard line in the sand beyond which they don't want to go and they have to be prepared to walk away from the table. And I don't think, I don't know that anybody thinks they're prepared to do that. Yeah. Which to me, like, you know, we could sit here and go through all the other quarterbacks they try to get from Paxton Lynch. And, you know, that's been very well documented. The fact that they fell into Dak in the fourth round is good for them, but I, this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but if you go back to this past year, you could say that Dak Prescott's one of the five most valuable players in the sport, and by him not playing, he increased his value because yeah. 
Andy Dalton is to me a different version of paying tenor Derek Carr, maybe, you know, a little bit below uh, Carr at this point. But the point being is those are replaceable parts. Like Dak Prescott's a guy you could go win with. And it's sometimes we overcomplicate things, but you want Dak Prescott on your team and you're building his leadership. And again, like if you're going to overpay there, like that's a situation where if you think again, he's worth 30 instead of 32, like get it done because now 32 just went to 40. Yeah. Do you hate running backs like we do? <laughs> don't, don't raise your kids of the 4,000 kids you have, Steve, make sure none of them are running backs. <laughs> yes. uh, trust me, given their body types, he's not a running back in Winston. When my oldest is like six six, a buck seventy, I don't have to worry about him toting the rock. Is no, my is my feeling. Go well. <laughs> so yeah, we're um, we're anti running back here generally at PFF, but we take pretty hard, strong stances, and you know there's nuance to everything. Where do you stand on second contract running backs, first round running backs, and just the idea that it's the most replaceable position in the NFL? Yeah, that's what the data says, right? You know, you look at. Gosh, you just go back a couple of years ago, like none of these guys were playing out their deals. Um, you know, Todd Gurley, um, you know, there was a bunch of them like where they all got like extensions and then it just seems like none of them are still with their team. And look, as great as McCaffrey is, he just got hurt. Um, I think Kamara is a great player, but at the end of the day, like, they are replaceable parts. And even like Zeke, you know, like you look at, at Dallas right now, I don't think he's as explosive as he once was. So, I generally agree with you, Steve. The hard part is like Kamara, McCaffrey, like they're great players, but you go to the Super Bowl and, you know, uh, Kansas City, Damian Williams opts out and they're out there with, you know, Daryl Williams. Obviously, they drafted Edwards Lair, but he got hurt. Um, and then you look at, obviously, with Tampa from Fournette, Ronald Jones, no, no bellwether, bell cow running back. So generally speaking, I do agree with that. Yeah, so I th yeah, great. So we're on the same page as far as running backs. I had a follow up. Uh, oh, the um, I want to go back to the Jets really quick because the other thing that we've come up with that our guys, you know, our numbers dorks over here have come up with is the idea that you would build a team on defense from back to front. Essentially, if you have a good coverage unit and a below average pass rush, you can get by more than the opposite. In, in other words, if you have a great pass rush that the great pass rush protects a bad secondary. And I know the I think historically it's like build, build in the trenches, right? Have a great defensive line and figure it out. Going back to your Jets teams, I feel like you, you guys were building that way, and a Rex Ryan defense in general builds that way intuitively. So a Rex Ryan defense, from what I see, is you guys got three – you guys had Darrell Revis, Antonio Cromartie, and then drafted Kyle Wilson in the first round, a corner – where 10 years ago, you're like, that's not a starter, even though we, the league was evolving that way, right? So I feel like intuitively you guys were there. And then Rex schemes up pressure. There was no elite high-end pass rusher, I don't think, for most of Rex Ryan's, any of his teams. Is, is, that, something, is that something you guys have discussed, considered? It, it, was it just that was – did you intuitively get to that conclusion or did you not even get to that conclusion? Where would you stand on this idea of, like, coverage, pass rush, and – building that defense it, you know it's interesting rex would agree with that steve that he, he was always like let's play man-to-man -man on the back end the map like if they're keeping in five we're sending six if they're keeping the back end we're sending seven um that's kind of like the way he like wanted to see the game 
I, I do think though, like starting front to back, because you know, we don't pay enough attention to the run game. And, you know, we said this going into the Super Bowl, but like Tom Brady's part of his mystique is he's so good for play action and staying obvious here, but you need a run game to have an effective play action, which is exactly what they got in the Super Bowl. And what was great about what they did, not to get into too many X and O's here, but we they can. stayed in base personnel quite a bit. Yep. And that put slower chief linebackers on the field. And then they threw out of that. Um, and the reason that's to me related to your question, Steve, is a good defensive line can stop the run and rush the passer. So I understand the value of the back end. You know, we paid Revis handsomely, but I, I think they're I, I think starting with a good front is you can't go wrong with a good defensive line. Isn't so there's a lot of data though that says that you don't actually need the strong run game in order to get the good play action, right? Just the active play action functions independent of the quality of the running back or the running game surrounded around it but you're right that we you do get a lot of teams that can essentially trap defenses in heavier base personnel that just aren't as good so i think there's there's definitely some mileage to teams lining up in these run heavy formations and then passing out of it whether it's with play action or just to attack the bad coverage players that you've managed to trap on the field I mean, that yeah, was, no, that's that's that, exactly right. I mean, you know, there's a more fundamental way, fundamental way to look at it. Like the fifth and sixth linebacker, like those guys are typically your worst players. They're special teams players. They're not yeah. necessarily great athletes. And I thought Tampa did a great job of exploiting some really poor linebacker play by the Chiefs, um, and they cut some guys, you know, free. Um, and again, I I think. I would never say that Tampa had a dominant running game, but their success in the running game to me really put a lot of pressure on Kansas City's front seven. Yeah, I mean that that was when New England played the Rams in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago too. That was like it took till the fourth quarter, but they finally adjusted and said, "Okay, we're going to put you know an extra tight end and a fullback out there, make the Rams go into base personnel and throw out of it." And that, that's how they move the ball in the fourth quarter, and that's what that's what I think is great. That's what I think great offenses do, right? They have answers for what the defense has. The fact that the Bucks have four, five, six legitimate weapons and Joe Haig is playing all sorts of snaps as like the sixth tight end, and he should have caught a touchdown. But Joe Haig is out there, did catch you know, it. and they're adjusting. Did catch it, got it ripped out. Oh, okay. Give the defense some credit, Steve. It was a pass breakup, not a drop. Yeah. Okay, that's what we do here at PFF. We debate whether these things are drops or pass breakups. But yeah, anyway, good, good, good offenses definitely are able to adjust. Um, one of the things you said before, and we've talked a lot as well, Mike, as far as trying to win your division and the decisions you make to win your division, how is that, how top of mind is that? I mean, so you're making decisions, you, you're in the AFC East the whole time. So you're over there saying, how do I match up against Edelman and the Patriots receivers? How do I slow Tom Brady? How do I have answers to Bill Belichick's defense. How top of mind is that with all the decisions you're making? Yeah, it's really like, it's critical, Steve. You know, if we're in the AFC West, if we're drafting a corner, we have to say, is that corner fast enough to cover Tyreek Hill? If it's a safety that we want to play man-to-man, can that, do they have the body size to cover Travis Kelsey? Like, those things are outcome determinative. Like, those, like what we say are critical factors. You know, in Tampa, like if you're for example, building a team in the South, NFC South, you would say, hey, you know, our, our tackles have to be athletic enough to pass block, you know, P. 
Pierre Paul or Shaq Barrett. Tristan Wirfs did obviously a very good job of that. Um, so it's really a little bit of a match. So, you know, again, um, if you're if it's an interior offensive lineman, is he strong enough to anchor against Ndamukong Sue and Vita Vea? Those are things you're constantly thinking about. Yeah, it broke up for Skipped a second a there, bit. but we got it. Makes um, sense. You were a big fan of Justin Herbert coming out, and a lot of people at PFF were not, some <laughs> less fans than others. Um, so this is a great chance for a victory lap. What did we screw up, and what did you have right? Um, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I thought it was pretty obvious, to be candid. You know, first of all, I um, I really think you got to look at quarterbacks in person. Um to, to really evaluate him. So the year before I went to watch him because I was really like watching him for two years. And um, I, I think there is, and this is a generalization, this is not completely true, but in the media, there is a little bit of a herd mentality. And I just felt like last year with, with Justin, you know, he has the height, the weight, the speed. You go back to how he finished the season against, for example, Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. He can make you miss athletically. He could run you over. He can make all the throws. And then after the, the Wisconsin game, he plays great in Mobile. He goes to the combine. He's the only quarterback there that throws. So he's competitive. Um, and he's a great guy. So there are no holes in his game. And if you look at it objectively, and my point was, if you pulled Justin Herbert out of Oregon and you put him in the SEC, he would have been in the discussion for the first pick in the draft. And I just think we have a herd mentality and he was in a very small media market. And I just think people coalesce around bigger branded names in the SEC. See, I think he was, when I first saw him, when he first played, he played great. And I was like, all right, that's a future first round pick. And then I didn't see him necessarily progress. And that was more my concern with Herbert. And I know that there's other factors in the offense and playmakers and all that stuff. Um, but you said you want to see a guy in person. And that's one of those things that I've, generally made fun of in the past it's not you it's it's everybody in the nfl you know i was just talking well it's him now i was just talking to a qb coach this week sam said the same th <laughs> they say the same thing everybody wants to see a guy in person so um i'm not going to make fun of that as a concept but what are you trying what are you trying to glean in person and is there do you inherently have a bias if you're at the game where a guy is great and and does that stick in your like i was at the game and saw him in person when he was awesome and does that one game way stronger in your evaluations than say the other 12? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, first of all, when you hire a quarterback, it's a very important position to your franchise to be able to get to know somebody. Like there's some, that that's very commonsensical to me. For me, I want to see their body types though. Like a couple of weeks ago, I saw um, Zach Wilson play in person. You know, he's a smaller and leaner frame guy. Like I have concerns about whether or not he has the ability to be built to last just based on his, you know, his size. Um, but as it relates to generally speaking, I want to see them move. I want to see them, how big they look compared to others. And unfortunately, I think you're making a great point, Steve, which is we all are biased that if you see them in the live, live look and they play great, we, everyone's going to be like, well, you know, um, it's just one game we're all human and it does impact you without question this is like teams do this all the time with free agents right like if a guy they sign the guy that played incredibly well against them the season yeah. before the season before that you see it 
constantly. It's, I'm sure it it leaves a massive impression, but you know, sometimes you probably have to look at what that is and the totality of the guys play. This, this is where I this is where I add baseball to the mix because I saw this in baseball. Of course, right. Yes. So we're in AAA, and the Giants brass comes to town, right? They come to town, three game series, and they are there to evaluate your AAA Fresno Grizzlies. One of my old roommates is our starting catcher. He had not he had had like two hits in a month. He was terrible. He goes out this weekend, hits like three home runs, couple doubles. He's already a great defensive catcher. He's in the big leagues in a week. And it was literally because they were there for the three games. And I'm not saying he didn't deserve it or they made the wrong move or anything like that, but I've just seen it's like you have a thousand data points and you're going to use 10 because you saw them. And again, I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm speaking very generally here, Mike, but you know, just that balance of like what I saw weighing more or less, because again, that's, you can make a rugby analogy now if you want to. No, no, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> but that's how I incorporate baseball into the, uh, into the podcast here. Well done. Thanks. Anyway, well, so that's all the credit you're getting for that. Let's, I want to wrap it up with this. You and I last year, we were hanging out, we we're going to the NFL combine and we we're talking about the Detroit lions at number three. And at the time it felt like that question I had before, right? Matt Patricia, maybe is in his last year, the whole regimes in their last year and they're sitting there at number three. And I think you made the comment to me. You were like, if the lions were doing what was best for the Detroit lions, they would consider Tua. And you said Tua at the time, even though I think Herbert is your guy, they would consider, I mean, if you were there, maybe you would have taken Herbert. Again, how do you balance that, making that decision for the long term versus, man, it's in my last year. It, it just felt like we're in our last year. We got to take the best non-quarterback available and go for it. And are there owners that would balance that a little bit and say, no, like Matthew Stafford's not going to be here very long, as we've seen. We got to get that next yeah, quarterback. Yeah, you bring up a great point, Steve, which is one of the many reasons Bill Belichick's been successful over a long period of time is he's dogmatic in his approach of what is in the best long-term interest of this franchise and nothing else matters. And if Bill Belichick was the head coach of the Detroit Lions last year, I'm sure they would have taken a quarterback. And time and, and time again, he always let guys graduate. Great players. Just let them go to another team when it, that didn't fit his model. And if more teams operated and candidly, like I feel like some of the mistakes I made were, Hey, you know, like our coaches on the ropes or, um, you know, we have, you know, there's pressure to have a good season. It's human nature, but there's no question if Detroit ownership had intervened. Yeah. Jeff Okuda absolutely has a chance to be a reasonably good player, but um, there's no doubt you have to take a quarterback there and, you know, look, golf may work out, but I think your point's really well taken, Steve. The great thing about the Belichick situation, though, is that that's the that's the flexibility that Tom Brady buys you, right? Is that Belichick is for his entire Patriots tenure up until now, I guess, has never had to deal with that pressure of short-term thinking, right? He's always had Tom Brady in this constant of we're going to be good, we're going to win ten games, we're going to make the playoffs. I've got some Super Bowls in the bank. I have plenty of credit already built up. I don't have to think about. You know, is my am I is my job on the hot seat anytime in the future, and and like he's he's been able to. That's the sort of flexibility that very few head coaches or personnel guys have, right? Because they don't have that kind of extensive, permanent security base. That's exactly right. You're dealing from a position of strength, but it becomes a force multiplier. Yeah. Because now, 
you're just stacking resources on top of resources. And I think, again, going back to Steve's point, clearly, while Kuda may be a good player, you know, now they're looking at the same conundrum. Obviously, we'll see how it plays out with Goff. Well, Mike, we're going to let you go, but uh, tell everybody about what you're doing with the 33rd team and where we can sit. You're on ESPN, and you're all over the place now, right? You're on the PFF NFL podcast, really making the rounds everywhere. So that's great. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, guys. So the 33rd team is just a, a think tank, and it's uh, made up of a bunch of former head coaches and GMs, and we put out a newsletter. You can go to the 33rdteam.com. It's completely free. And then we help young students get to where they want to go and get them entry-level jobs. And the, these students are way smarter than me. They're, they're really brilliant with information and data, and they put out very thought-provoking material. So um, it's been a real passion. Um, we have a weekly call. I always get off the phone and feel like I'm smarter. Last week, we had Wade Phillips break down Todd Bowles' game plan in the Super Bowl. The content was compelling, interesting, and uh, it's something that I've really enjoyed. We got to get Wade on here too, for sure. Yes, you do. Wade would be a good. Is he, he? So Wade, you might be able to help with this, actually, Mike. Wade is has blocked Sam on Twitter mm-hmm. for some reason, and I have no idea why. No clue. You probably said something snarky to him back in the day. It's certainly not beyond the realms of possibility, but I honestly don't think that <laughs> happened. Like, do you remember when Brandon Graham blocked me? Right. Yeah. I think what happens is sometimes you get in these Twitter chains, you know, there's like four or five people in all replying and somebody says something over the line. So they, it just gets blocked. The Block whole everybody. thing gets blocked. Right. So Brandon Graham gave me a hug after he blocked me. He had no idea. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. 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 I was there for the hug and maybe right. Wade would, would hug it out with you too. Maybe. So, or maybe I did say something bad back in the day. Who knows? Like with your 33rd team connections, if you could pull that off, maybe get Wade to unblock <laughs> Sam and maybe we'll have him on the podcast at some point. Or stay I'd be blocked. happy to help. <laughs> so go check out 33rdteam.com. Really great stuff. And then ESPN and everywhere else that you're showing up. So thank you, Mike. We'll do this again, man. Oh, this is a lot of fun, guys. Really appreciate it. Let me know how it goes with Collinsworth if you get that new podcast studio. Yes. We'll call it, we'll, we'll call the new one Stafford. <laughs> the staff, <laughs> we want that Stafford upgrade. It's just like a minimal upgrade, but, you know, some bells and whistles. This, this yeah. gives us a chance for the ring. Yeah, this will. The current one's not going to get it done. This will put us need, over the top. Yeah. If you want, no, no, no doubt. And look, you know, if Jared Goff, I mean, if Sean McVay can change his mind, you guys should be able to change your mind. That's see, this is a negotiator here. I know, right? He's been he's been on both sides it, of the table, the whole thing. Decades of experience this is what it brings. It's us. it's marketplace appropriate. If the Rams are doing it, PFF should be doing it. <laughs> yeah. Plus, the Rams hired Zach Robinson straight out of PFF. They're right? basically us. Uh-huh. They're like they're forward thinking like us. Yeah, I mean, does Chris want to turn you guys into an afterthought, or do we want to stay, you know, best in class here? Let's go. If Chris is still listening to the show, it might already be sold. Yeah. He usually either, turns us off after 30 minutes, I think. Either that or we need to bring Mike in to negotiate on our behalf. Yeah, once COVID's over, we'll fly you back in. We'll take you to the Eagle. I, I, was, I was just going to say that. I'll come in and do your deals, and my fee, you know, some agents charge 3%, some charge 4 I just charge a couple pieces of fried chicken. Easy. We can do that. We no got problem. That. We'll yeah. take you right down. The street. We got to get the Eagle to sponsor this place. You know, this is the pod too. <laughs> we'll get that. Look at this. This I'll, endorsement. I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that all the same trip. Yes. Your deal, the new podcast Perfect. studio. <laughs> this and is great. PFF podcast brought to you. Hey, and maybe they'll do the 33rd newsletter while we're at, we're at it. Now we're Just talking. roll it all in. This is a multi-team deal. I like it. I like where your brain's at. So anyway, thank you, Mike. Much appreciated. We'll do it again, man. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks Thank for you, having me. Appreciate it. All right, Sam. See that he he agreed with a lot of my stuff. Yeah, <laughs> ish.
Okay. No, I th- man, I, I think it's good because we can sometimes get into this. You know, we're, we live in a vacuum, right? And it's like it's easy to make decisions from behind the desk in our yeah, beautiful studio. Like, he's a really interesting blend of like he understands the things that we're talking about, right? It's not yeah. like we're he's not looking at this as, you know, nerd talk. We don't need to listen to that. It's just it's noise in the background. They bring the numbers. Sometimes it says things you can trust. Sometimes it doesn't. Let's, you know, not really pay any attention to it. Like he understands what we're talking about. He agrees with a lot of the data. And he's this sort of, he also brings the kind of old school, you know, set way of doing things to the table. And there's a kind of quite a fascinating blend of the two where he's kept a lot of those old school ways of thinking. And, you know, some of them we don't agree with, but he actually has a, like it's a coherent way of justifying them. It's not just, hey, here's the crazy things I still, you know, agree with from the 1980s. Like he's found a way of meshing the two in his brain in a way that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, so, you know, I was joking with him about the seeing quarterbacks in person, but, you know, when and if I'm a GM, I'd, I would go see quarterbacks in person. I think there are things to glean from being in person. Hmm. The fact that we saw, like, Tua on the field this year with Miami, it's like, man, he kind of feels small. <laughs> he feels like, ah, this doesn't look great. And um, I do like to see velocity in person. It, it, there, I, I thought there was a benefit being at the Senior Bowl a couple years ago watching – Carson Wentz, it was Carson Wentz, Jeff Driscoll, Kevin Hogan, and Cody Kessler all on the same team. And I could see, like, Wentz throws the ball with carry. Driscoll, number two, arm strength. You were about to slander Cody Kessler. Then you've got Kevin Hogan, number three. And then way down here, number four, was Cody Kessler as far as arm strength. And you saw that on film. But, like, you really see the way the ball carries in person and all that stuff. But I also think my point about like overweighing the actual performance of well, the that's game the thing. is so the tricky it's part. It's now it, it becomes a balance of you can definitely take some interesting information. I mean, we've talked before about how there are guys where just putting them in a different uniform in a different team makes them look different in terms of size, speed. Just they don't seem like the same player. Um, and so you can I, I'm sure it's easier to pick up that kind of thing just where they are from uh, those sort of standpoints in person, you know, from 25 feet away as opposed to from a high TV vantage point. But how do you balance that against wanting to overweigh what you saw on the game where you showed up live, right? Right. So, yes, like it's almost like you need to go there, see the guy, only pay attention to those things, and then run the hell away before the game actually starts, you know, before right. you have a chance to therefore – massively overvalue what you saw whether it was good or bad in the actual performance i think you're right though as far as um mike being a blend of old and new school Mm. um i think there was i would guess there was a point 10 years ago where he felt fine about paying a running back or whatever it might be and then um you know i talked to mike a lot about various things and he says i love data you know i love information and i you know i like to weigh all of it in decision making process and it does feel like through the years he's like man the data as he said the data just points against paying running backs you know but he also he's a believer in qb size and that's part of the reason why he liked herbert the durability aspect and everything and i don't necessarily agree with that i think playing style is probably more important when it comes to injury concern and I, you know if we presented a study of that to him maybe he would also you know adjust a little bit right if if the data backed it up yeah i mean he's he's got some kind of interesting um ways of thinking about it like one of the some of the stuff he said i think was you know genuinely 
not just interesting, but like actually challenging to the way that you would just automatically do things. Yeah. Um, the other part that I, uh, that I also I'll always find fascinating again is like when a Rex Ryan or a Bill Belichick, or whatever, they come to conclusions that we've developed in spreadsheets and in R. Yeah. <laughs> and they come to them intuitively in that there's agreement there. Maybe the most interesting sort of argument that he was presenting, though, was that Sean McVay one. The idea that we we hadn't listened through, we haven't thought of it through that angle, right? The idea mentioned. that basically the mistake that you made, admitting a mistake is good, but the mistake that you made is so big and so egregious that it is a permanent stain on what like your standing right now. So okay, if I'm the guy green lighting what you want to do, you want to take Jared Goff, junk him, move to Matthew Stafford, I will okay that, but you have to understand that this. This permanently damages your standing within this organization because this is a catastrophic mistake. So we'll wrap it up with this. I do wonder, though, and I don't, this was Mike Renner's quote a couple of years ago that I've somewhat stolen because I think it was really good. Renner said a smart GM would go into that first interview with an owner and say, I don't know everything. I'm paraphrasing, but I've, maybe I've adjusted a little bit. I don't know everything. I'm not going to hit on every player. I'm mm -hmm. not going to hit on every quarterback, but we're going to try – and try and try and we're going to miss but the upside or the payoffs going to be it's like the penny stock guy that you were reading about this this week sam how about that the penny stock guy to yeah. summarize it right failed hundreds of times looking for a penny stock that was going to make him rich and he actually hit on two of them one of them he just forgot to cash out at the right time <laughs> the second one made him 25 million with gamestop but, but honestly if that's how you handle the quarterback situation that's okay right so i agree but that's not his point his point is that you essentially said this was the guy and pushed for the $100 million contract. Like, yeah. trading for him or getting him, acquiring Goff in the first place was not the mistake. You know, shooting, believing he was the guy, going after him aggressively in the draft, all of that is fine. Declaring he was the guy and handing him the giant $100 million contract and then 18 months later turning around and saying, nope, missed, got it wrong, that's the issue. Like, it's not, all of the stuff before that is fine. And if he hadn't, if he'd then fallen off a cliff and hadn't worked out, no problem. No harm, no foul. That's just the cost of doing business when it comes to finding quarterbacks. But if you were the guy that said, this is it, we've done it, we found our guy, Super Bowl's abound, baby, let's go, let's throw him the money and we'll, we'll roll. And then turn around and be like, no, actually, I want rid of this guy, give me Matthew Stafford, <laughs> yeah. make it happen. That's the issue. And I think it's an interesting thing because I, I've been thinking of it like, Look, it's, it's a good thing. Recognize your mistakes, understand where you screwed up, and get out of it as fast as humanly possible. And that's one of those things that, you know, bad teams tie themselves down to mistakes for too long, and they don't, they don't allow themselves to get out from under it because they would look bad. Um, so I think generally it's a good thing to think, yeah, look, I don't care if I look bad. This is the right thing to do. But I think it's a really interesting perspective he brings of that's fine, but this should be like a permanent marring of your standing in this organization because like that's that's the kind of mistake that you can't just sweep under the rug right? right and it doesn't mean that you get fired it's not a job killer necessarily because you're still winning you're still doing well but it should damage you in everybody's eyes how much okay yeah so you're, you're right you're absolutely right it's definitely it's definitely perspective that we didn't have originally i would only say that the new information that's been presented since maybe two years ago is that maybe you have the 49ers who are better when they have a starting quarterback. We, that's been confirmed since that contract. 
we have the Arizona Cardinals who have Kyler Murray. And then despite Russell Wilson's second half collapse last year, he's still a top three quarterback in the NFL, right, going forward. I wonder how much it's that, too, where McVay said, I thought we could win with Goff, but look at the division right now. We need to have a better – you know, we can't have the worst quarterback in the division. So, I, I don't know. I, I see it from all these different angles, but I like the perspective that Mike brought, which is definitely different from what we had and how it speaks of you to the owner. Mm-hmm. That is definitely stuff that from behind the PFF desk we don't consider. And even the GM. The like, if you were the guy the GM, pushing yeah. this, it, again, it, it, it should damage you. And it doesn't I, – I thought initially he was going down this sort of hardline route of – Oh, like if like if you're you can have one of two things. You can have your job or you can have the move that you want, right? Yeah. Because admitting this mistake is essentially a disqualifying event in your career. Like we have to get rid of you. Um, but I, I don't think it's that bad. But I, I do he persuaded me with the idea that it, it should genuinely damage your standing going forward. Yeah, we'll have to have Mike back on the show because there's there's a lot of different things when you consider team building, the draft, free agency, and how you handle everything. So Appreciate Mike for joining us. Be sure to go check out 33rdteam.com and some of the work that they're doing over there. Again, it's, it's him just trying to – he's grabbing all the guys that have, you know, that are in between jobs and all that stuff and just trying to bring them together and talk football. It's pretty cool and a, and a, good, uh, a good angle to take for those guys. So uh, we'll be back on Monday. I'm not sure. We might have another interview for the Monday podcast, right? So you just never know mm. what we're going to bring. But it's going to be some more off-season free agency draft discussion. Stick with us here. Generally speaking, we're going to ha- try and have a regular podcast Monday and an interview podcast Thursday. But scheduling you know, issues in terms of when we can get guests might juggle that at yeah. times. Either way, you're going to hear a full podcast with us at times and then times where we just have a nice discussion. So should be fun. Again, hit us up with guests and go check out the PFF NFL Daily if you haven't already subscribed. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you guys Monday. <laughs>